This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. So today, let's talk about employee advocacy. And this is an interesting topic. You probably saw my article recently on how companies now during the coronavirus pandemic should be sharing positive stories. Uh, and of course, positive stories is always something um, that I'm always aiming for. So I invited on the show Tim Williams. He's the CEO of Analytica, uh, a global leader in influencer marketing. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me, Christoph. And, you know, employee advocacy is an interesting topic to me because, of course, uh, you know, you, you, you hope everybody is your advocate if they work for you, right? Uh, hopefully, yes. Uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. So when we talk about employee advocacy, what do we mean? Uh, how does that typically look in, in the wild? Yeah, I think that's a great question because people talk about influence marketing, employee advocacy, content marketing, and it's really good to dig into the, the topic to segment it a little. So employee advocacy to many brands and to marketers is employees trying to share, uh, to get employees to share brand content so that they can uh, publish their message and communicate with more people out in the marketplace. But but really, the heart of employee advocacy is uh, being able to empower your workforce to improve their social profiles and to make sure that the program delivers value for them. And when the employees are motivated to share brand content, but also their own posts and content in an authentic way, then it's going to drive value, intrinsic value for you as a brand. So I think Employee advocacy is 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 sometimes seen in the in the wrong light, um, and to us, there's different layers to this. Um, there are the C-suite, uh, so senior execs. Uh, there are also the subject matter experts, so the thought leaders within your organization. Um, there are sales and marketing teams, and sometimes they're the thought leaders. Sometimes uh, they're they're much more in a sort of proactive play. And then there tends to be the uh, other employees who are either socially active or not. So when you start breaking down employee advocacy, especially with organizations that have uh, 500,000 people, for example, then it becomes this, this massive beast um, to be able to uh, try and, and run and leverage and, and to, to be able to deliver for your workforce. So interesting, too, that you break it down into these different categories. Um, having a robust um, social profile, certainly there is advantage. I mean, I see it for myself, right? I'm, I'm talking and talking and talking. It's very optimized towards who I'm trying to reach. Um, but why, why do employees need to think about that? So I don't know if we want to take it group by group or how do you break it down? But how do you get people to understand that it's important to have that good prof, um, uh, profile 
um, content. Yeah, I, I I think it's a tricky one, and uh, everyone has their own journey. So first of all, I would say that it depends upon the personas of your employees. You're not going to have uh, one size fits all for everyone, but. If you're looking at a salesperson, then you can speak to five or ten people in the room. Uh, obviously, in the in this day and age with social distancing, then uh, then then it's forced online anyway. Um, but say if you're in a room, you're pitching to five or ten people, you're only influencing those people or who they speak to, um, you know, in in the in the ensuing days. But when you're online and if you're posting on social, then the ability to get uh, even if it seems like there's 20 or 30 likes, for example, that is multiplied by the number of followers that they have, and that can drive uh, the content exponentially through the networks. So with half an hour of creating content and posting content online, you could potentially reach five to 15,000 people rather than pitching to the five to 10 people in the room. And you know, when you look at it from a sales angle, that suddenly becomes attractive obviously when you're looking at the c-suite or uh, you're looking at subject matter experts then they're trying to lead they're trying to uh, build their own uh, uh, profile and expertise and and obviously online uh, scales a lot faster than in person mm-hmm. and so that's always one of those things too when um, when you see the numbers online right so even if you have a hundred people reading your stuff I mean, when was the last time you reached 100 people in one meeting? Yeah, sure. And I, I think this is uh, this is the really uh, fun but challenging part as well. Because, uh, and let's let's talk about the specific platform. So, uh, when we talk about social influence, we're looking at this in a B two B context, an industry context. So it could be Coca Cola, but it would be talking about your industry issues rather than rather than selling a product, for example. Um, so when you're when you're looking to post content in a thought leadership play and a B two B play. Um, then uh, if you're going to be on LinkedIn and Twitter and you have five or six likes, then it's very hard to quantify what the impact uh, is that that will have. And so I find that uh, sometimes people uh, start and then uh, stop because they don't really see that it's having too much of an impact and they feel like they're talking to a social vacuum uh, maybe from a few colleagues and just having a conversation online with with a few of their uh, of the people that work for their brand, uh, and so it's really just trying to get beyond that point where they can start seeing the impact. And I think there's a few critical factors in play. There's there's obviously publishing quality content, and then there's the tactical part of how to make content. Uh, you know, uh, drive further impact for your audience. So maybe the use of hashtags, maybe tagging some people in your post without being too uh, too spammy. And so it's of getting beyond um, that social vacuum so that you can beat some of the algorithms. Um, and then it's really the consistency of posting the content um, to start seeing the impact over time. And And I think the main challenge is that when you're, I mean, everyone's busy, right? But when you're mm-hmm. uh, C-suite or or your know, senior exec or the you know, a sales leader, for example, marketing leader, then time is very, very precious. And when people are doing 
large deals, but then posting on Twitter or LinkedIn and not seeing too much impact. I think that's where sometimes an impasse happens and, and people don't invest in it. So there's a number of different challenges, uh, but solutions available to be able to bridge those hurdles. Um, but we know that, um, and, and I love... Um, I love a quote. I think it was, it was, it was back, uh, you know, uh, 15 years ago or something like that. That people were talking about uh, whether email would catch on, and uh, <laughs> you know, I think it was um, some guy in the states from a computer trade magazine, and you know, throwing it out there that email would be some kind of day-to-day -day thing that everyone would use, and and everyone you know, kind of dismissed it, but thought, well, potentially this might catch on. And I think that social media has obviously, you know, isn't going away and it's becoming more and more important. And I think that in five years time, if you're an exec without a social profile, without being able to drive impact online, then you probably won't get a job in five or six years time. I think it's that important, but we haven't got there just yet. So I think everyone's on their, their different path and journey. Yeah, and I mean, there is a little bit of a hurdle, right, to to publish things and be out there. I mean, I, uh, Tim, I grew up as a journalist, so I don't have any problems being out there um, and just sharing content, right, that I think is worth sharing. Um, but how do companies, how do they get their uh, subject matter experts? I, I guess sales and marketing, in theory, it should be easier, right? But sometimes we know that's not easy either for them to 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 share stuff that people actually want to consume. But how do companies get there? How do they, like, do you have a process you, you recommend or, or how do you get people to be uh, public uh, advocates? Yeah, I think there's a, a number of elements to it. Uh, first of all, you've got to motivate the employees to speak about why you're doing it and why it's important for them. So not to think about your brand first. Uh, a lot of programs haven't got off the ground because it's a persuasive technique of we want to get this content out to more people, so we would like you to share it. And, and, and that's not the best way to go about it. So it has to be about uh, delivering services for your employees to help improve their social profile, to educate them about why that's important. And I think that the, the really tricky thing with brands is to talk about maybe the next job that they'll get because you obviously want to retain your employee workforce. You don't want to make them too visible or that's what a lot of brands feel. Um, but I think to be able to relax that feeling and to say, okay, we are doing this for you. We recognize that it's important to have a social presence. And of course, there are going to be brand benefits um, to us, but to really feel like it's for the employees. And, and then, um, of course, there are technology platforms uh, that uh, enable you to share external content uh, for the employees to be able to post on their social profiles. And that's really important because if 90% of the content that you're encouraging them to share is your own brand content, then they just become an echo chamber uh, and a mouthpiece for you as a brand. And that doesn't give them any personalization. So every single person, uh, you, Christoph, like me, we're going to have our passions. We're going to have um, our focus on the, the workplace. And I think it's about them being able to find their topics that they want to post about, which enables them to drive that consistency because they're, they're motivated to achieve that. So once you find the, um, the motivations, um, then if you're rolling this out to 
50 people, 100 people, 2,000 people, 10,000 people, not everybody is going to be successful or posting on Twitter or LinkedIn. Some people will find it easier than others, like like you've been talking about um, because you're a journalist and you don't have a problem doing that. But other people find it pretty scary and intimidating to do that. So I think you work with the people that are most ready and socially active and, and really um, deliver a service for them. But it's an opt-in. <clears throat> Uh, solution Mm -hmm. so that people don't feel forced into it and then you work with them you you showcase the impact and you uh and you run the program and celebrate the successes and then you find that second wave of people who are saying hey um i I saw what that person did over there i thought that was really cool could i have some of that and you go sure you know come into the program Uh, and you make it almost like a like a vip program or something that people want rather than a brand demanding the content to be shared and then you can get the right culture um and and i find that um with the largest organizations you know the big tech organizations uh, for example globally uh, they bought uh, technology platforms and they bought ten thousand licenses to uh to run an employee advocacy program and they've ended up with a lot of people spamming content some people not engaged and um and their program has ended up in a bit of a mess so that's the journey that a lot of organizations have been on over the past two or three years and and i think it just has to be much more real you know i try to stay away from the word authentic because it's obviously overused um nowadays but it's just it's just real and what feels you know important for the employee and then and then you'll see the organic uh posting and the content that will actually drive impact from uh, for the brand we, we see research i think that ibm did that that content posted by employees it converts at a seven times higher rate uh, than branded content um, when you're looking at the, the, at the referral site traffic and the conversion um, on the landing pages. So it's very, very powerful, but you can't force this through internally. And so sometimes, I mean, we see some of this content out there, especially right now during the, the coronavirus pandemic around the globe. Uh, I mean, we see people posting pictures. Um, we're doing a Zoom virtual hour, uh, virtual, uh, not virtual hour, happy hour, virtual happy hour on Zoom. You've probably seen those pictures, yes. right? And I mean, so that is basically saying we're so happy that we're doing this as a company. I always wonder, well, how many happy hours do you do when you don't have to be at home and when you're yes. in the office? And <laughs> cr- cr- crickets, right? Um, but anyway, that is a positive story. And then the one that just came to mind, I saw people post. Uh, it was one like a tax uh, tax software, and they said every tax return we're donating ten meals or something like that. I, I don't know the exact numbers, um, but it was an employee saying, "I'm so happy to work here because look at this, my company is stepping up in a time of need." Um, so we are seeing some of those content pieces already. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think that the I think the COVID nineteen situation has has forced a lot of great innovation and 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 communication between brands and employees and and actually employee advocacy uh one of the uses for brands has been almost like a replacement of the intranet and Mm -hmm. and so uh, of course i mean the communication and just feeling close to your employees is 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 part of what an employee advocacy program can deliver so i think that there's a lot of 
uh, obviously it's it's not a it's not a positive situation uh, at the moment but there's a lot of uh, good stuff that can come from it and i think that the brands connecting with the employees and employees sharing the messages and uh, a lot of innovation online and through social media channels and and people's social media usage is up uh, over the past you know four to six weeks so we do know that there's plenty of opportunity and uh, and I think that this situation that we find ourselves in will force uh, much more social media communication and it's going to be the future anyway but I think this has accelerated it so one thing that I hear often is um, brands don't want to do employee advocacy programs or whatever because they're worried about um, having additional brands out there, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm building, if I'm talking publicly and I'm publicly known, right, at some point you're also building your own brand publicly. Uh, and some brands, some marketing teams seem to be afraid of that, right? And in fact, the article I wrote here over on authenticstorytelling.net, should we be afraid of people building their own personal brands? And how, do, how does that fit in? How do you feel? I mean, first of all, what's your answer to that question? And then how does that fit into um, having good employee advocacy? Yeah, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a really uh, tough one for some brands. I, I don't personally see it as, as tough because I don't think we have any choice. It's, it's a bit like uh, before social media when people, when brands were saying, well, should we talk a lot of, on social media about what we do? Because it opens ourselves up to, to criticism and, and, you know, and, and then we don't know how to manage it. And, and I think we've gone past that point, right? Where everyone knows that they have to have a social media presence. And, and if you're a bank, if you're an oil company, you know, if you're, if your uh, government and institutions that aren't too popular, then uh, then you're going to get some criticism online. But it doesn't mean that you can shy away from the conversation. You can avoid it because you need to access your audience. So I think people have got most brands have got past that um, now or just a force to accept that they have to be present and hear the actual truth back from the consumer. And, and I think in the same way to make that kind of analogy with with should we build up our employees to have great profiles and will we lose them out to competitors? I think that you have to train them up. Uh, and and I, I think I love the expression, was it Richard uh, Branson that was, um, that was talking about, uh, you know, train people up so that they're able to leave, but they want to stay. Uh, I, th I think that was him um, that, uh, that said it. And I, and I think that by offering the opportunity, you will get more brand allegiance. But of course, you know, people will will become more visible and competitors will want to poach them. And I think that's just a natural course of what's going to happen. I think the benefits of having a lot of thought leaders out there are, are, are so much outweigh um, the, the potential negatives. In fact, I see, I see really large brands that lose their, their top two or three spokespeople and and they don't know how to succession plan after that because they haven't got the next 20 people that can fill the void. So mm -hmm. if it's something where you're where you're building up your employee profiles and you've got your hundreds of people that can that can be able to communicate and can tell stories in an agile way, I, I think it'll give you a competitive advantage and you've obviously just got to keep them interested uh, in in different ways. Uh, that is a good example of, of why you need more people than two 
to represent your company because if they leave, you know, that can be uh, difficult. Very, very good point, Tim. Um, how, so how do we, um, how do we get there? How, how do companies encourage people to do it? Like what's the, um, what's the magic wand, I guess? Yeah, I think in some jobs, it's about being able to do your job more effectively. In other roles, mm -hmm. it's about getting speaking opportunities uh, or, I mean, I think sales, sales logically understand that the social selling aspect of employee advocacy is, it, it is very, very useful. And I think uh, marketers realize that account-based marketing and social selling uh, lend well to having good employee profiles and it's all connected to that. So I think that part of that is educational and then seeing whether they can drum up leads and the fact that advertising is working less well and that there's less in-person meetings. So I think that that's naturally, you know, the, the, I think we're crossing the chasm, you know, if I could use the, 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 the expression from the book, um, I think we're getting past the tipping point, you know, and we will do over the next 12 months. I think for, uh, for senior execs, uh, and I've talked a lot about uh, being a, a sort of a social CEO and leading the workforce. I think it's very important to um, to lead by example, um, but it's very, very difficult when you aren't you know, too natural on social networks. So I think for the, for the senior execs, um, being able to connect the senior execs with external influencers so that they can have a really inspiring conversation. They can, their marketing teams and exec comms can create content assets from that video interview or podcast interview, and then release them as sound bites into social. Uh, tagging the influencers and seeing the amount of engagement they get will not only motivate them to do more of that, uh, but also show the workforce that the leadership are taking this seriously uh, and they're leading them from the front. Um, and I think with the other people in the organization, whether we're looking at HR, finance, um, you know, lots of operations, for example, I think just to the people that are socially active already, I think it's just to try and extend that further. And I think the people who are inactive, I think it's being able to roll out some e-learning uh, management software so that they can take uh, different levels training and that they can start feeling comfortable with the platforms. Uh, so if, when you're trying to orchestrate this for your organization, you've got to obviously invest more with the people that are going to drive more impact from you, but then scale out the training to everybody so that they can get on the first level. So it, it, it's a kind of iterative, uh, multifaceted approach. And so it's interesting too, because uh, what you mentioned is doing training. I mean, I'm doing the uh, coronavirus pandemic here everybody is basically hopping onto Zoom without ever doing training yes. right, on Zoom. And I, I've worked at companies, you know, where, I mean, even my wife is a teacher, so she, they don't have Zoom meetings, obviously. Typically, they're in school. And um, they're all trying to use Zoom, right? And I told her, I said, when I first started using Zoom, you know what the company did? They had trainings. What you are doing is you're just going, okay, I need Zoom, download install ready to go yeah <laughs> right um 
so it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's easy to forget that we need to have training. Yeah, and, and but that but that training um, um, thing is just an interesting side note that because uh, I've I've run uh, software businesses uh, for for a while now, and and we used to well back in two thousand and three when I first started, um, I wasn't running a business then. I was a sales exec, and you know, we had very very complex training sessions and running trials for people in software. Now everyone just wants to link and they just want to get up and running in a couple of minutes. So so the user experience and uh, customer experience just you know has to be um, the best um, and you know that people just don't have the uh, the aptitude towards um, you know half an hour or an hour training anymore. I think you know it's just such a agile being able to have an agile workforce and agile user experiences uh, is a key part of that for the whole sort of digital transformation. We're not we're now talking about digital, proper digital transformation of employees rather than what businesses are talking about with just uh, digital transformation in the kind of a B2B sense. Right. You know, the other thing that's, in, I totally agree, right? I mean, I have, um, when, when people talk to me, I say, well, we use this system. And they say, well, I've never used it, but I just figure it out, right? And people, good software tools do that as well. But like the problem with Zoom, for example, that I found is, yes, you can do it. Yes, you can do a Zoom meeting without any training, but there's intricacies you don't know, right? I was on a school board meeting the other day. I'm not on the school board. I was just watching. And the, the superintendent said, oh, we have so many people attending. That's great. I have you all muted and you will remain muted until it's the public um, section, right? For the sure. public comments. And I'm, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking... It, that's very nice that he thinks we're all muted. I mean, we are, but I can unmute myself, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they because they were me- using the the meeting um, the meeting uh, uh, mode, not like the webinar mode. So anyway, it's just funny because you can do it, but there's always intri- intricacies that happen, and it's the same with storytelling publicly, right? Like anybody can use social media and share a story for the company. But maybe that's kind of where your point was going or tell me if I'm making this up. But to have some kind of training to let people know, here are some things you can do. Here are some things to consider. Here's the rules. Um, that is That does have a place. Yeah, I, I think social media guidelines is uh... – uh, has been a, a a real blocker for some organizations and and it's very it, it's probably mm-hmm. too disruptive and too too easy and uh probably a bit ignorant of some people to say um oh just use common sense uh because of course that that is important but when you're highly regular if you're working pharmaceutical or finance then you can't just jump online and start talking about about lots of issues. You can't talk about you know, products or people can't then respond with overdoses in pharmaceutical because then you get into adverse events reporting. You have to fill out an individual um, document per uh, comment that you might see on social media. So of course, just to give you an example, you can't suddenly have a free reign on everyone posting social content. There has to be some, some restrictions. So I think that there's different types of businesses uh if you work for google it's different than if you're working for bank um but i think uh social media guidelines are useful uh to be able to talk about you know what definitely not to do and uh, to encourage people to talk around certain topics and themes areas which are uh, much more thought leadership driven so i think that's the safe place when you start talking about your products and services 
and talking about what's better than others, other products out there. I think you sometimes get into dangerous territory where you can appear to be selling too much. You can uh, appear to be uh, just a brand mouthpiece. Uh, you might say something which is against the messaging of the company. Um, so I think the social media guidelines play a really important role. Um, but as long as they're not too constraining, um, but also empower the employees. So um, I've seen a lot of social media guidelines and and some staff are afraid to post because because they're not sure of whether they'll make a mistake. So if that's the, the feeling of a lot of brands, then I think it's really important to address those and to get feedback uh, from the staff to be able to refine those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tim, Analytica.com is the website, O-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. Uh, what does the, tell me about the company. What, what do you do and uh, who should Great. connect uh, with you? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk a bit about Analytica. Um, we're an, an influencer marketing and employee advocacy uh, software company. Uh, we've got 50 people. Uh, we're working uh, globally. So uh, what we do is really just try and, help brands connect with influencer communities and that's internal experts so your employees and external influencers and the the whole value is agile thought leadership content to be able to drive awareness engagement and to be able to uh, drive demand generation uh, we work uh, normally with b2b companies and industry marketing uh, in b2b and b2c and you know anyone that's wanting to uh, to improve their own personal influence or their brand's influence, um, those are the people that that find value with our software. And um, so, like I'm just looking at your blog here, right? You have articles on top healthcare professionals around the coronavirus, uh, renewable and future of energy, top influencers. How do you determine who, who are the influencers? What's at a, at a high level? What's Sure. Um, what so we use a, an approach with uh, four R's. So reach, which is the most commonly known number of followers or subscribers to your social channel. And then uh, resonance, which is an engagement metric. Uh, relevance, which is how much content you're posting on the particular topic. Uh, and then reference, which is an authority metric. So you, you want to be referenced and cited by the other influencers in the community to be able to gain a higher score in your influence ranking. So those four, those four R's combined gives you a quantitative figure of influence. And then when brands are looking to find the best fit influencers, then they need to look at qualitative criteria, uh, such as whether they're the right fit, whether they align with the right kind of messaging on that. And is that that's uh, mostly external? That's not uh, internal. Uh, correct. It's all it's all external. Um, but the but we categorize the uh, the influencers into employees, and we'll obviously break those down into the various different roles uh, within the company. And we also categorize external influencers because the the really interesting thing about external influencers is everyone knows who journalists and politicians are and analysts. Um, but then you get these other social media influences that no one really knows how to categorize in their mind. So they're the professional influencers, pay to play. There's also event speakers. 
There are industry practitioners that who wouldn't call themselves influencers, but are experts that have influence on social. And then there's social media amplifiers, which is an alternative to paid media. Um, and then there's independent content creators, whether you're a YouTuber, podcaster um, like yourself, um, or Forbes contributor or blogger, for example. So that there is a number of different personas uh, within there. We treat them just as a, a global database of of influencers, and you can be categorized by different personas, roles, location, audience, um, and you know it's really just trying to connect the right uh, brands with the right people. Um, it's almost like a Match.com for for B two B marketing, mm-hmm. dating and B two B marketing. Um, the other thing that came comes to mind here is, um, especially for bigger companies, right? You can identify internal influencers, and maybe the marketing team didn't know about. Yeah, them I think yet. that's a really great point. In fact, uh, it really surprised me. I thought uh, five years ago that uh, that internally you'd be able to find the ten thousand people that are most influential by region, by by topic, by theme, and and I thought this was data that everyone had uh, at their fingertips. Uh, they they really can't get hold of this data, and there's multiple reasons from GDPR to um, uh, to not having the right technology to um, uh, to aggregate multiple data sets and then to be able to turn that into an action plan is a real challenge for brands. So, of course, they have a good idea of who are their top 20 uh, social advocates. Um, but beyond that, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Um, it's very messy data and they can't really leverage the data as well. So, um, or, or mine the data because it's, uh, it's against a lot of internal policies. So it, it's a really tricky thing for, for brands to get hold of. Right. Very good. Uh, so people can check you out and, and connect analytics. Correct. And right? I post uh, a Tim's top tips uh, on most weeks uh, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and, uh, and and we have a very active blog with all of our rankings and, and top communities. So um, and a lot of those are, are free resources um, on the on the website. Fantastic. Uh, great overview. Thanks for joining us today. Thank Tim. you very much, Christoph. It was a pleasure it. to speak to you and to your audience. And thank you for having me on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Stay safe and healthy, and good luck sharing your story through employee advocacy. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.